to another Milwaukee Admirals podcast with Charlie Larson. I'm Aaron Sims. Charlie, these have been so fun. And today we have a guy who is is really uh, one of the great names in Admirals history, one of the favorite players in Admirals history. And, and I'm looking at his resume, at his bio, and he's kind of Mr. Midwest when you think about it. I mean, his pro career, with the exception of a, a season and a half in Orlando, went from Saginaw, Michigan in the east to mini to bloomington minnesota in the west down to st louis and to chicago it's pretty amazing that there has been that that this guy didn't have to go through all these crazy moves he's uh former admiral star dave Mackey. that's a long-winded way to get there dave uh but but thanks for joining us uh how's everything going for you good guys thanks thanks for having me on to start so uh looking forward to the chat but uh thanks for the intro funny you actually mentioned that my wife Chicago. I'm from Vancouver. I did make that drive after playing hockey all those years back to Vancouver at the end of the season 14 times. Oh my gosh. That's a long (laughs) drive with a U-Haul. But at the end of the day, when I ended up retiring, um, I did feel like all that time I spent in the Midwest, that the Midwest was sort of, you know, kind of calling me home. So I've always enjoyed where I've played. And like you, you mentioned, uh, the majority of it was in the Midwest here. And obviously uh, playing for the Admirals was a, a huge part of that for me. When you're going home that after every season uh, in your career, is, is it a, is it a two, three day trip? Do you try to just haul as fast as you can? And on top of that, did the team pay for your U-Haul to get home? So it, it, it all depends if I'm driving by myself, um, probably the quickest I did was two and a half days. So those are like 13, 14 hour days. You're pretty keen to get home, I think, at the end of the season. You just get a straight shot of road, right? You just, you close yeah. your eyes for a few just minutes. Just go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, uh, of course, Montana would take you most of the trip just to get through Montana. But you know, there were other times I had a 40 foot U-Haul and pulling my car on the back of that, uh, all of a sudden that turns into a four day trip. Sure. So, uh, going yeah. through and, uh, you know, uphill and, and stuff like that. So it, it depended, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't miss that particular drive. And as far as the team paying for that, I'm trying to think back. <laughs> um, I don't know if they did because that was sort of an elective, you know, where I'm living at the end of the season. Is right. what I do. So right. I could, about that but yeah the uh you could you're like you said you're a uh a vancouver kid grew, played in the western league in victoria uh and drafted in a round that doesn't exist anymore in the 11th round talk us tell us a little bit about uh getting drafted this is mm-hmm. before the internet before cell phones how did you find out you were drafted did you expect it to be did you expect to be drafted and and what and you're drafted by the blackhawks that's a pretty good team to be drafted by, especially at that time. Yeah, great question. Um, I was at the time, there was two of us that played in the Western Hockey League as a 16-year-old, um, which was very rare. It was myself and a guy named Doug Bodger. Doug went, yeah. he went in the first round. Pittsburgh. You know, I was a big forward. I didn't, uh, I was still, yeah, I was still growing into myself. Um my draft year at 17, I really didn't have a great year. We didn't make the playoffs, which didn't help. My stats were pretty well the same. So I kind of dropped in the draft. But the draft day, that was the very first 
time uh, it was shown on TV <laughs> in Montreal. This is 1984. They only showed, um, I believe, the first uh, three rounds. That was the Lemieux year, by the way. The Mario That's Lemieux right. went Mario first. Lemieux was first overall. And so I actually was at home uh, watching TV. We knew Philadelphia was a team at that time that was interested in me. And there were talks through my agent that I might go in the third round. And it flashed on the screen. First pick, I think it was the first pick by the Philadelphia Flyers in the third round, left wing Dave Mackey. Um, so we jumped up, my mom and my dad, I'm crying, my mom's crying. And so all this, and then all of a sudden, a couple hours went by, we got a call from a friend of ours. And I don't know if that was Dave Mackey or Dave McClay. Dave McClay was also played for the Portland Winterhawks at the time, was a left winger and was a tough two-way left winger. And ironically, my dad and his dad were both in the RCMP and both knew each other. <laughs> um, hours went by. There was no internet. There was no, my dad's trying to call the draft. We're trying to figure out nobody's calling us. So we sat around a long time and it turned out to be kind of a, a you know, a tough day as you're dreaming about getting drafted. I never found out till the next morning by yeah. reading the paper that I was picked in the 11th round. So thank God. My dad, my, my father still claims that because I was picked and my name came up in the screen, everybody forgot about me. And they right. heard that, uh, oh, Mac, he's still around. Let's pick him up in the 11th round. Or maybe that's where I was supposed to be drafted. But it did come up on the screen, Dave Mackey at the draft. And at that point, we couldn't get a hold of anybody. So it was a long sort of uh, evening from what I recall. Yeah. Again, very fortunate um, just to get drafted. And really, it changes your life, right, for any player. You come to Chicago. I never was here before. I played in Saginaw, Michigan at the time was their farm team. Right. Being, you know, a kid out of Canada. I mean, heck, I didn't even know where Michigan was, so. Right. Uh, you know, so those were great memories. Um, my wife ended up being is from Chicago. Um, my kids were born in Milwaukee when I was with the Admirals. So it changes your life, really, who you get drafted by and what you, you kind of make out of your opportunity. So sorry, long story there, but there was a lot. In no, that's a phenomenal yeah. story. That's a great it's, story. It's a, it's a horrifying story, yeah, too. Yeah. Oh. yeah. My, uh, my dad, uh, there's, a, there's a steak restaurant called The Cake. It's still in Canada. Yep. Yep. And my dad, it was, it might've been, uh, it was getting late in the evening. He's like, Hey, we're going to the keg. And now I'm only 17. So my dad, he had a couple of cocktails. I had a couple of cocktails with him and we sort of uh, got through the evening and woke up in the morning and discovered that I was with Chicago. With so. Chicago, which is, <laughs> I mean, Hey, like you said, a, a fantastic place to go. Uh, how how yeah. do they how does Chicago communicate with you? Do they get your phone number and then and uh, general manager calls you or do you just your get a letter? Yeah, right, true. right. Do you get yeah. a letter saying, "Hey, here's when training camp is"? You know, report at this time type of thing. Well, obviously things didn't uh, move as quick as they they do today. So I probably got a call um, from I believe it was the assistant GM or their head scout it might have been within that first week just sort of welcoming yeah it wasn't wasn't immediate um you know welcoming you on the on the team and, or the to the the franchise and uh 
And then, you know, you, uh, I still had an uh, eligibility of junior hockey. So at that time I went to training camp for five days only, and I had to go back to junior. I went back to the medicine hat tigers at that time. Uh, and then after that, you know, I waited every day, checked the mail to see that uh, contract. We, uh, they made me an offer for two years and I waited all summer for that thing in the mail. You know, you're checking the mail every day to get that contract. So right. uh, a cool moment. Yeah, as well. So, well, after a year in Saginaw and then you go up and you play a handful of games with the Blackhawks and we're, while the Hawks at the time didn't have the best record, they had the names, I mean, Denny Savard and Doug Wilson and Larmer. And um, it's, it's a good group, a really good group of hockey players that you step in the lineup with. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I was really, uh, it took me a while. Um, you know, Aaron, I, that first camp, I got sent back to junior. My second training camp, when I was turned pro at 20, I was really looking forward to, you know, getting a game, an exhibition game, right? That's you get, you get your foot in the door. I never got one. I got sent to Saginaw. I remember I was real, just sort of devastated. Of, hey, it's my second training camp. So I had a really good year in Saginaw. You know, I put up some penalty minutes, but I also put up like 75 points. And so the next year I came back, I got an exhibition game, my first game. And one of my stories was, you know, I – you know, I, I, when I got there, like you mentioned, I was a hard, having a hard time keeping up to the likes of Denny Savard and guys like Larmer. And you're at a different level. You know, I was never naturally a great skater, but, um, you know, I was a physical player. So my first pro game, I fought Probert. I made a decision that I got to, <laughs> you know, so Welcome I got to the a, league, kid. A, yeah, it was an exhibition game. And as you remember, they would go to the Milwaukee's or Kalamazoo. The game was sure. in Kalamazoo. We met halfway, Detroit and Chicago. I couldn't sleep that uh, night. I couldn't sleep in the bus, you know, and I got there and I ended up doing okay. And I got in a fight with Probert the next night. Um, I played against Edmonton uh, who won the Stanley cup that the previous year, they put me in Denny Savard's line. I got two goals in that game. So I fought Probert. I got two goals. Right. The Oilers. And all of a sudden I started playing. Uh, usually back then you played maybe eight, nine exhibition games. And I right. A lot more than now. Exhibition game. Yeah. And then I, uh, they kept me up. I kind of made the opening roster. We played the Leafs. I think the home opener, I sat out. I kind of sat out the first week and a half or so. And then, you know, I'm young, right? I'm 21. They sent me down to Saginaw. Um, and then Aaron, to your point, I got called up. I think it might've been early December. Um, and so I made a point of, you know, when I was down there to play hard and, and, and play well, but I did get my start um, and I got called up and I was with them for about a month, but um, great players on that team, great group of guys. And I, I could always say as a rookie, I was treated very, um, very fairly. Um, they had, like you said, they had a great, great group of guys. I bumped into Denny Savard, you know, once or twice a summer, I'll bump into him at some event. And so great people. That was, I, I have heard, and, and, uh, and I hope I'm not putting you on the spot, but the, it was a tough environment to a degree for young people like Paulford, Bob Paulford, Orville Tessier. They were old school guys, old guard guys, and Mr. Wirtz had their back no matter what and vice versa. So it was hard for young guys to, to get in there. They were tough, not only on, on the young guys, but I, from what I understand, they were tough on the veterans too. Yeah. Gosh, I remember coming to my camp and I'm like, you know, I'm that time you, you know, I'm in pretty, I'm in good shape. And 
you saw a lot of the guys from the late 70s, maybe, or even early 80s, guys were smoking cigarettes, the goalie smoking, Pulford smoking. If he called you in the office, he's smoking. If someone walked in the dressing room, they're smoking. I mean, there were ashtrays built into the those old wood stalls. <laughs> I didn't smoke, but <laughs> it would go up at go up at a heartbeat, possibly. Yeah. yeah so, but uh, yeah, that was it. That was sort of a, I would say, a different regime, right? Um, so you know, I think as a rookie, you just shut your mouth and try sure. to play hard, and and that's what you do. Uh, you kind of get in line, and and um, you know, there's a pecking order there, obviously, and. That's what I've always done. I've told my kids that, you know, you, you show up and play hard and keep your mouth shut. And that's yeah. kind of that, especially in that era. And I think today there's more, you know, players want to be communicated with more coaches do communicate more with you. Um, even, even today you're expected to be a pro, but there is more dialogue. I think, um, you know, supporting players, right. And what they think and getting feedback and, and definitely those days, you know, if the coach said jump, you know, you jump. So you with that, sorry to interrupt, Charlie, but with that, your son is now playing with the Calgary Flames. So I'm curious, and and this may be a loaded question, but are players better now than they were? And I'm talking collectively. There were superstars, obviously, and there's superstars in this generation now, too. But when you're coming up in the mid 80s, were players better then or are players better now? And and that's and that's that's a vague question and maybe a loaded question, but but. I think, you know, I think, I think there's some play- yeah, I think there's some players in in that era that could play in today's era. And I think there's probably some players like Dennis Savard. I mean, gosh, you, you put him in today's lineup and you take out the red line and there's no hitting. Yeah. There's no clutch and grab. So right. those skaters like that, they could, they would be able to shine. I think there's some guys in today's game that probably wouldn't be able to survive in that game because it was so, there was, a, there was a lot of fighting, a lot of clutching and grabbing. There's some, you know, it was a different game. So if that maybe that's not your mentality. You might, some guys might struggle. So I think today, like if you think back, you know, you might have had one or two defensemen that could really look like a Doug Wilson that could control the play and lug the pluck, uh, puck. But they would typically build their defense a big stay-at-home um, type defenseman, right? And I think today's game, you might get all six defensemen that are very mobile. Yeah. Even if they're big, they're more mobile. So I think the speed of the game is quicker because there's just more there's opportunity going at a, a higher clip. Um, I don't know, like, you know, I mean, a guy like Mike Gardner for years got the NHL fastest skater. Yeah. It's not like he, you know, so I don't know if the guys are shooting any harder. I mean, you see the NHL skills competition or even skating any faster, but I think collectively there's more people doing that. Um, you know, there's more people training all year. Yeah. Yeah. The old days is you'd kind of come to camp. I mean, I wasn't, I, I was coming out, I was one of the newer guys that was kind of started the mid eighties, kind of the fitness stuff, but there was an element that some guys would show up and, you know, put the skates on a training camp because you had a month of camp right training camp was literally that it was it was training that's right exactly yeah i i want to go back to your fight with bob probert in an exhibition game as a rookie there is zero chance that something like that would happen now 
where a rookie <laughs> would say to a, a league heavyweight, and at that time, Probert probably has only been in the league for a few years, mm-hmm. but still, he's got the reputation. How did it? Did you ask him? Was it a heat of the moment type of thing? Uh, how did that come about? Because like, if if that happened, like that just wouldn't happen now. No, the no chance. Would, uh, the, the the established guy would say no. No not chance. Tonight. Yeah, yeah, not tonight. Get away no. from me. So my dad always gave me great advice, and I, you know, I, I was able to score through junior. I was able to score through the IHL, and that next level, you know, I had a hard time. So, but my dad was like, "Hey, you got to get your way in the score sheet. They're going to be talking about you somehow. Whether it's I don't know, it could be a ten minute misconduct, a five minute, you know, if you do something, you got to be talked about. If you go some games and you're not on the score sheet, you're you're irrelevant. So right." My roommate, I'm still friends with him today. His name was Chris Clifford. He was a goalie at camp. Um, I told him, I said, I'm going to try to fight Probert or Kosher, the Bruise Brothers. Joey <laughs> Kosher, too. Ex- yeah, it's an exhibition game. You don't know who's playing, right? Right. So I had it in my head, you know, and it just turned out that Probert, I was breaking out. He kind of bumped into me, and I just kind of gave him a little tug in the arm. Well, that's all you had to do back then, <laughs> do that, you know, and so um, – you know, some guys were like, Mackie, you're really stupid or nuts and probably a little bit of both. But I had to kind of get my way in somehow. I mean, when I came to camp, I remember there was 12 left wingers. You, know, you got four in, with Chicago. You've got four with in the minor, you know, four to eight in the minors because they had an AHL team and an IHL team. And you get your draft picks. So I counted 12 left wingers at camp. And I'm thinking they got me pegged in at 13 probably. <laughs> You know, you got to really, and I've always told my kids that you got to be significant somehow, whatever that is. If you're a guy that's blocking shots, you better block shots. Or if you're a, you know, maybe a fighter or a big guy, you better hit. You know, if you're a scorer, there would be, there could be six guys that come to camp that scored 60 goals. One guy from the Quebec league, one guy from, but if you come to camp and you're not scoring. So I think, you know, you got to be significant somehow. Not that I wanted to do that, but I figured, why not fight the heavyweight champ of the league? Yeah, and he won the fight. Like he won the fight, but man, I got a lot of kudos and you know from from management and the team because no one else at that time was willing to do it. So it kind of got my foot in the door, and um, you know, again, to get some games, get get try to get established. So, right, we're going to fast forward a couple of years to when you first come to Milwaukee. I mean, you're involved in a, in a trade to play one season in, in Milwaukee when it's the Vancouver affiliate here in an, in a second year building, I suppose, in the Bradley center. Yeah. Well, again, when I was living in Vancouver, Brian Burke was the G- assistant or GM of Vancouver. The assistant. assistant. Yeah. Pat Quinn was the GM. Yeah. And Brian Burke didn't live too far from me. I was renting a house in point gray, my uncle at my uncle's house. Somehow I bumped into Burke and I was kind of a, kind of a free agent that summer and you know I was with the North Stars the year before so that would have been 90 91 I think and um Burke you know he um I got along with him and we talked and chatted and Brian sort of liked hard working guys you know he always built his teams around tough guys and so I'm from Vancouver what an opportunity so I signed with Vancouver and uh, ended up in Milwaukee and man, I think back now, I mean, uh, Jack Capuano was on that team. I saw him behind the bench the other day with Ottawa. Uh, Benning, I still talk to Jim Benning quite a bit. Uh, yeah. Peter DeBoer is on that team. I've talked to Pete DeBoer. 
you know, you think back, right? And um, we had a kind of a cast of characters, a tough team that year, but I lived in Oak Creek and I loved Milwaukee. Um, Phil Whitliff was a big part of that and they were a great organization. Um, yeah, and then I and, and I ended up, we had a playoff against Peoria, who was a powerhouse at that time. Yeah. Six, I had seven games and seven goals in that series. And um, Ron Caron was the GM of the Blues, and they were the parent club for Peoria. And in that series, so they're there scouting all the time. And so I ended up signing for a three-year deal with St. Louis after that one year in, in Milwaukee. You end up you you end up coming back to Milwaukee, but you mentioned Phil, and when you first came, Phil was a GM or or whatever yeah. he was in Milwaukee. He wasn't the coach, so I'm just curious because I you're definitely you you still have a great relationship with Phil, mm-hmm. and and I think Phil, if you were forcing him to say, I think you're certainly in his top two favorite players of all time, oh, right? And and I'm just curious uh, how you struck up that relationship with him because he's not in the locker room all the time. He's not, but, but you're talking. I mean, going back to your first stint in Milwaukee, it's one yeah. thing when he's your coach. It's another thing when he's in the office, so to speak. Yeah. <clears throat> no. Good question. Yeah. It's. Uh... I remember coming to Milwaukee and Phil had a different style, right? He had, a, he sort of had a different style. And that's why when I, I went to, I signed with St. Louis for three years and I was up and down with Peoria. I came back and signed like for, I played for four years and it wasn't right. just myself. There were guys like Mike Tomlack, uh, Tony Herkus. And Phil started signing all these free agents that had some, NHL experience. Kenny Sabarin, yeah. Yeah, Ken Sabarin, four years. Yep. Yeah, we and we built a really strong team. And he was getting guys again. Um, and so I think Phil's style, you know, he wasn't a yeller and screamer. Or he was a player. Was he a – would you describe him like as a player's coach when there wasn't many players' coaches? Everyone was, a, everyone was Ken Hitchcock-esque, Mike Keenan-esque, right? Yeah. Well – Phil's style was one time he came down to the dressing room and, and, and um, he, uh, we were losing and we had the big ping pong table there in the middle of the dressing room. And the only time I saw him get mad, he did chuck that. We, at, at the end, there was always a fruit tray on there with the strawberry, chocolate strawberries and bananas and everything. And so he, he chucked that one time, <laughs> which was on, not like him, but he got all mad. And then he said, guys, uh, everyone's like, oh my gosh, we're going to show up tomorrow morning and get bagged in practice. This is not going to be good. Phil said, get down here tomorrow at 10 a.m. We're not going to skate. We're going to have a ping pong tournament. And then we're all going out for lunch. So, <laughs> so I remember that. Everyone's like, okay. So we come down. And so it was a different style. Even when things went wrong, he, you know, he, um, he did something different. Like I even, I even remember it was always taboo to be seeing at the airport or seeing in the hotel you're staying at bar, having a drink. I mean, that yeah. was, for, that was for management. The first road trip feels like uh, we get to the airport guys settle up over the bar here. We'll have a couple of drinks or, <laughs> or I remember, I remember checking in into San Diego and we all checked in the hotel and a couple of guys went to Phil and said, I think Mark LaForce was one of them. He said, Phil, I don't think the guys like this hotel. And Phil's like, I don't either. We're heading down to the wharf, the Marriott on the wharf. <laughs> we, have to move to the, 
moved to the Marriott. And so he <laughs> took care of the guys, you know, he, he listened to feedback. Um, and I think on a personal side, he really cared about the players, right? You're not, and he knows my wife well, right? And, and he's met my kids. Phil came to my kids' high school uh, graduation. We had a little party in the backyard, 2015. So he came down to that, you know? And uh, so I think off the ice too, he really meant a lot to my, me and, and my wife and um, he cared. Right. And so I think that's where guys played hard for Phil. He did. It wasn't yelling and screaming and bag skating guys. And it was a little bit different and guys really liked it. And again, we were a little bit older yeah. we went through all that. Right. And, and so he, he was ahead of his time. Really. He, 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 uh, he took us to Notre Dame one time. You know, right. and we for a couple of days we went out there. So Phil, we had fun. He made it fun for the guys, and I think that's that. It was fun for me. That's why I, mean, I came out there. Yeah, it, I, does that does that word get out? Like, do you or do you become a great recruiter? These, these are the independent days. Of the, the Admirals were an independent team, yeah. um, as you mentioned. It, it's a it's an older group. The vast majority of you have had NHL experience to one level or another. Um, so you all can play the game, obviously. Um, I'm assuming the pay was at least competitive. Um, you're playing yeah. in a fairly new building. You're playing yeah. in at that time was such a great league with great cities to go to. Yeah. And then you're playing for a coach like him. Do you guys become recruiters when so-and-so's contract comes up with St. Louis? You can call them and say, hey, you've spent four years in the organization there. I don't know where you're going, but I tell you what, this is a good place to come. Yeah. Absolutely. You nailed it there. It felt like at the time, at, at the time of that IHL was evolving, Milwaukee felt like an NHL, you're playing in an NHL city. We were flying every, for the most part, right? We had this new building. You're getting treated very well. Um, gosh, I remember we, we were getting big crowds on those Saturday nights, you know, or. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and again, still made it fun. So I think, you know, it was easy to say to guys and I'm sure you guys, they still have the same reputation. It's like, we got paid well there. Um, and Phil was fair too on, on negotiating contracts. Right. I think he was really fair and, um, he paid guys. Well, God, it's a great city. Um, I have nothing but fond memories of Milwaukee. You know, my kids were born there. We had, I was single too. I, I mean, we had good times there and, it felt like you were flying, you know, you're flying to Salt Lake, you're flying now to uh, San Diego and LA. It started feeling like a real, um, you know, pro league. And so you started seeing a lot of guys in NHL experience come there, come to Milwaukee. Real, real quick. I want to go back to your first stint in Milwaukee with, when you were with the Canucks organization. I mean, you mentioned yeah. the toughness on that team. Uh, I want to ask you this is kind of a two-part thing. I'm, I'm going to start with Mike Murphy playing for him because that was a stretch in Vancouver and Milwaukee. There was a new coach every single season. Yeah. Uh, so Mike Murphy, but you mentioned Jack Capuano, but you, you look at that team and uh, Peter Bukovic, I mean, yourself. I mean, Gino Ogic, uh, Mike, goodness, Cam Brown. Brown. There were guys that could throw hands, man. That was, that was, I'm assuming you read, did you read Brian Burke's book? I haven't yet, but Brian, but his, 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 the, the main thrust of it, when, when he's developing a team, when he's building a team, 
was he wants to have entertaining hockey. And my goodness, that sounds like entertaining hockey. Well, that was good and bad for me, that team, because I remember we went to training camp and Burke actually said, because I might have been 22, 23, he goes, oh, we're just going to have the rookies play the first two days in Vancouver. There must have been a dozen fights, you know, out the Reverend on that team. Hawkins was on that team, right? Yeah. So there was some, like, I'm like, I'm in the stands saying, oh my gosh, we got a lot of tough guys. You know? Right. And, you know, and Toski was a big, he was a high pick at skate. Uh, Ojek, obviously. And I remember Brian Burke actually came to, I don't know if we were on the road in Milwaukee and we were not playing as well. And he came and had a meeting. And uh, I remember him saying, we are the toughest team in hockey. We had the, that many tough guys in that team. And when I say it was good and bad, it was like, I mean, good, I didn't have to fight as much. But, <laughs> but bad, but bad, there was about five or six other guys tougher than I was. So they would call somebody up, right? they call up Andrick. So, you know, um, but yeah, a lot of, lot of tough guys, but a lot of <laughs> to play too. Like yeah. tough guys play and Toski, you know, Hawkins is a good hockey player. Craig Cox had some good hands on him, you know? So the, uh, I'm curious that, uh, you know, a, a, an infamous time, uh, occasion in Admiral's history that not a lot of people know about happened during that season. And it was, uh, involved the goaltender and Jim Benning. And, uh, I think it was a playoff game too, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, do yes. you remember? Do you remember what happened? And uh, uh, or do you remember this? I, I'm sure you do. You're probably playing. How could you forget it? But take us through the the <laughs> intermission fight between Jim Benning uh, and Steve McKeegan. So you guys, I don't know. I don't know how you got your uh, your story there. Yeah, that's good. Good on you guys. So we've, yeah, we've had we've we've, had we've talked to a lot of guys. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Here's here's my version. First of all, you mentioned Mike Murphy there, Aaron. He was a great coach. And Kurt Fraser, who I played with in Chicago and Minnesota, sure. he became, he just retired and he was the assistant coach. So there was a weird dynamic there. I mean, at first he's into coach and all of a sudden we're friends and I would work with him in the summer and now he's the coach, right? So right. great coaching staff there. So what I remember, yeah, uh, it was a playoff game. And if I remember, Murphy sent Jim Benning out because McKeegan was out playing the puck, you know, it's the end of the game. And he'd just stay in the net, right? We don't need just skating around, you know, handling overhandling the puck. Right. So I think Benning out on the whistle, go tell him to freeze the puck, which is kind of commonplace. You hear that a lot. You know, I've coached hockey here and even high school, and you say to the goalie, hey, near the end of the game, just hang on to the puck. We'll take the whistle. We don't need you roaming around, you know. <laughs> right, dangling. <laughs> So you saw Benning skate out there, and now they're having like this like looks like an argument. Everyone on the bench is like, "What's going on?" Well, and I again, there might have been a minute or two left in that period, going into overtime now. So we all come in the locker room. I know exactly where I was sitting and where Benning was sitting to my left there. And of course, the coaches come in at the they're at they're the last guys to come in. Right, sitting there. And McKeegan walked over with his blocker and took a swipe at Benning. He's got his, you know, he's got his towel around and he's just like, we're normally just, and he takes a swing at him. Well, you know, and I was one of the guys, I mean, there was, you know, four or five of us. Now, now we, now we're jumping on our goalie. <laughs> kind of like feeding the goalie here. 
<laughs> and and we're not exactly, I wouldn't exactly say we're pulling McKeekin off of them. We're kind of we're kind of hitting getting a few shots in on our own goalie. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then you know, Murph and Fraser walk in the room and they're just like, what is going on? Like we're looks like we're beating up our own goalie. Right. And I would say, thank God we won that game in overtime. Oh yeah. But we won that game in overtime because I don't think if we did, I think there would have been a lot of dissension and, you know, like it was, it wasn't pretty. Yeah. I don't know what McKeekin's version of it is. I do. I am friends with Jim Benning. Um, But, uh, and I was pretty close with Jim more than I was with Steve. So maybe that's where we just kind of jumped on him and started a few punches and then we pull them off. So it was kind of a weird Hey, who knows? Maybe that pulled the team together a little bit more during that series. But there was definitely uh, that's an unusual something unusual. That oh yeah, it, it and, is. So what what are the after effects of that? Do you just move? I mean, we 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 talk about the story now, and and we you remember it pretty well. Um, is there? Do you just move on? Can you just move on and say uh, tomorrow it's a new day, no big deal. Let's all let's all go on. Or is there well, kind of like what what are you doing, man? Yeah, I think, and I know Steve, he had a couple of issues with a couple other guys in the team that year. So that's why I think he, um, uh, thank God we won the game. Because right. if we didn't win the game, then now you got a lot of finger pointing. You got a lot of people upset. And I think as soon as we won that game, it's in overtime. You know, there's sort of that celebration. And, you know, I think we, you, you've got, you got to kind of move off pretty quick. I, I, I don't know what happened past that, but yeah, we went on and, like I said, uh, we got the win. So I'll, I'll tell you how we, we found out that story. Cause you know, as you know, Phil likes to tell stories and he's, he tells them all the time and he's a great storyteller. I, we, I never heard that story from Phil and for the, for what you, for the reason you said, the coaches just take so long to get in. We heard that story from Doug Agnew. Yeah. And so, and so we asked Philip and then I asked Phil about it. He's like, Oh yeah, but he didn't like, he wasn't sure of the details because he wasn't, uh, we wasn't in on it. So that we, 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 Dougie, if you're, uh, if you're curious, Dougie is where we got the stories. And in my opinion, the trainers always have the best stories, right? Because you go in there and the boys are getting treatment and they just start talking and Dougie's quiet. The trainers yeah. are quiet. They're working on you, but they're just soaking it all in. Like yeah. we, we had, well, we had been there a long time. So he's got all the stories. Oh yeah. Well, we had, single one. We had Doug on our, on the same podcast. He printed off a list of every player that played for him and, and had, and highlighted stories of each, <laughs> almost every single guy. It was fantastic. Wow. wow. Uh, I, I can't remember what he said about you, Dave, but uh, I'm sure all good things. All good things. A really good story that Phil, I mean, maybe, Phil is maybe this is one of the most things that Phil takes the most pride in 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 his 35 or 40 year career is is uh you know being there for you and your wife as you are having twins right mm-hmm. uh and letting you step away from the team for a while because it was best for you and for you for Dave Mackey the person and for your marriage and not necessarily what was best for the team um and that is, it, it's a great, it's a heartwarming story. And he mentioned that to us about how he had went, had gone down to when the twins graduated from high school, I guess in oh, 2015, 
that yeah. uh, uh, that he was down there for it. So yeah. that's, uh, can you tell us that about it from your perspective? I know it's a very personal issue, but so you oh, yeah. about a lot of no, details. Oh, and yeah, that's that personal connection I was talking about that Phil did things. Um, and even in that time, in that era, you don't step away from the team. I mean, right. you know, now, now guys are getting maintenance days and, you know, which, and which is good. Like the rest of, like, you know, you need some rest. To, I couldn't imagine going to a coach and say, I need a maintenance day because I'm, I'm bumped up and bruised, you know, and they'd be like, well, maintenance, you get rid of you. So, <laughs> so I think there is an element today, but guys, if they need support off the ice. And so, yeah, my wife was, uh, you know, we were trying to have a family and, she, you know, she had to uh, have some surgery and, and I asked Phil, I mean, geez, I got to fly out to Seattle. Uh, wasn't in Milwaukee. And I kind of asked, can I, can I go out there? I said, I'm thinking I'm going to, I might be gone a week. Um, gosh, you know, I'm pretty nervous just to even ask. Right. Then you just kind of didn't do. And he, man, he's like, go out there. Hell, we'll fly you out there. I'll fly. He paid for my flight out there. He, wow. he couldn't out there quick enough, you know, just to support my wife and be with her. And so uh, I came back and, um, you know, it was a good story. My wife, Carol, actually called up Phil and let him know that my wife was, you know, we were going to have twins, twin boys. And so uh, that was kind of a cool moment and thanked him for, uh, uh, <laughs> thanked him for playing a role in the pregnancy, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> which is an odd thing to say, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So we've never forgotten that. Um, but again, that, you know, I was member nervous and, you know, guys, in the team were probably where the hell's Mackie's been missing for a week. You know, you didn't kind of discuss things like that in the past or, um, and Phil was just, again, very supportive, didn't hesitate and supported my, my wife and I, and, it turned out to, we had these miracle kids. So, and, and, and Phil's met those boys, right? Like, so it's kind of cool. And I sent Phil a, a couple of Twitter links a couple of weeks ago when my son Connor was, you know, he's had his first NHL game. Made his NHL debut. Yeah. Yeah. I was on Hockey Night in Canada. So I sent that to Phil and a couple articles. That was pretty cool. Yeah. I want to get to that in a second um, because it's a weird time to, have a son make his NHL debut and you can't go and see yeah. this in person. Uh, but those years in Milwaukee and we, we, the, the cities you'd go to and the, and the characters, you mentioned Mark LaForest. I mean, who are, who are some of the other characters uh, on the team or maybe expand a little bit on, on trees as, as we call him. Oh as, yeah. As you guys called him. Yeah. Well, yeah, he was, he was from the old school uh trees you know uh right. you mentioned the smoking before he, oh, was, yeah, he was he was well, he, told, he told us he was he was telling us about i mean living in the van right like he lived at wilson park <laughs> yeah i would get so mad on him because he might be he might even have been a little dusty early in the morning in practice i still couldn't score on the guy i mean he's, <laughs> he, he hasn't had a good sleep but what a great guy he was though like again a cast of characters um, and if you're, uh, he was kind of loosey goosey, just always having fun, joking around, but really guys, the, the guys I think I've stayed in touch with, um, Fabian Joseph was there. Yep. I, I talked to Fabian, Trevor Sim, or, uh, Mike Tomlack's son, um, 
my kids are around the same age, so we've kept in touch over the years just through some texts and some phone calls because they went through junior hockey and college hockey. Um, you know, Jim Benning, you know, I stay in touch with Jim. Carl Valamont, who's local. Obviously. Yeah. Carl and I talk. So there is some guys you uh, – we didn't have that sort of social media, obviously, when we played, so you got to work at it a little harder nowadays. But I have uh, – those are some guys that I've, I've been in touch. Mike McNeil, I've bumped into him over the, you know, over the course of the last, you know, quite a few years since we retired, you know, some hockey tournament in Notre Dame, you know, Mike will be right. down, you know, so it's always, uh, I bumped into Tony Herkus one night, he was scouting, scouting junior hockey. You know, it's weird. I, uh, my kids kind of went through playing junior and college. So I felt like a scout, so I loved it. I'd be walking the concourse, and I'd be bumping into guys. And Herkus at the time was scouting for, I think, for Nashville. So uh, uh, yeah, could have been Nashville. He's been with the Blue, or could have been uh, with Tampa, uh, which yeah, is where yeah. where he is now. Yeah. So uh, I'm curious about what your relationship was with Mr. and Mrs. Pettit. You were a major figure for the Admirals, like you, you and Herkus and Cavallini and Sabern are sort of. You know, Sly Couturier are sort of the names, right? And, that are and, up in long-term deals, and yeah, and, right, you guys exactly. Were here for a long time, yeah. What was your relationship like with them? Did you ever talk to uh, Lloyd? I'm sure. I'm assuming you called him Mr. Pettit. Did you ever talk to Mr. Pettit about the Blackhawk days, uh, or, or your, in your time with the Hawks, or what was he like? Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say they were at every game. They sat up there at the Bradley Center in their suite. But he would come down at the start of the year at some point, right near the start of the year after training camp, once we've kind of gone through exhibition and we've had our team and give a speech to the guys, you know, Phil would bring him down and he would do that every year. And what I remember, he was a big guy too, you know, and sort of very respectful. Um, he had everyone's attention. This is the owner and was very matter of fact. Um, but had a real passion for hockey, obviously being his announcing time with the Hawks. Um, he usually did that. He did that every year and he did it kind of in the playoffs too. I remember one time, yeah, man, we played Denver and we lost that first game. They had a good team. I think they went on to win the, the championship and we lost that series, but we got spanked that first game and he came down to the room after and he was not happy, <laughs> you know, and, um, Again, he, he, he was a, he didn't have to say a lot, you know, he had that sort of powerful presence about him. Right. Um, and so uh, he definitely had the attention of the players. Um, so you saw him a couple of times a year, but you always knew the owners at every game, he's up in his box. He was watching and uh, you know, I'm sure had the year of Phil, Phil and those guys and communicating, but uh, and he also loved, you love Bob Euchre. We did those Bob Euchre commercials. Yes, right. You, know? you were involved so with those. Kind of, yeah, you kind of got to see a little bit of a lighter side of Lloyd on some of those commercials, which sometimes at work, you don't really see, maybe see that. Yeah, the the, the Pettits would leave. They would go to, they would leave for the month of March to go to Florida. And Wojo always says, it, we, we'd call them, that's a March promotion that we would do because, <laughs> because he could do it. it. The pet, yeah, the Pettits wouldn't see it. Uh, yeah. Mr. Specifically, Mrs. Pet. Oh, Mr. Pettit too. He was very much a hockey purist. No, no signs on the no dasher board signage. Uh, yeah. And yeah. I imagine yeah. that's the way he, he, you know, that that's the aura that he presented was uh, very much businesslike. And we're here as a business, and 
you know, play yeah. well, boys type of uh, attitude. Tell one, one quick story. We went to the golf course where he was a member up, up uh, the uh, Milwaukee Country Club. Sure. I believe it was Doug Pettit when it took us out there, myself and Mike Tomlack. It might have been Herkus. We played a round of golf. And after we had a nice dinner, it's on Mr. Pettit, right? Right. Tomlack, you know, being nice, instead of ordering the big steak, he wanted to get, he said, he ordered the, um, instead of saying the petite filet, that's what it's called, the petite filet, he said, I'll have the pettit filet. So we never let him live that down. I don't know, the pettit filet. Well, again, maybe, maybe we, you know, he was, maybe it was the pettit filet, but. Right, right. It, it, uh, at the end of the day, but. Um, it could have been. Yeah, so. I think <laughs> Mike was too, he was nervous when ordering. Just get the regular steak, he got the little petite, petite filet. <laughs> tell us being about, respectful again of, of who's paying the bill. Of, who's, of who it is, absolutely. Tell us about the Euchre experience. What, what was that? Sorry, Aaron. The, the Bob Euchre situation, experience. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, again, gosh, I was in a couple of those. Yeah. Those were kind of fun. One of the ones I remember, though, we were, it was after practice, and Euchre had the whistle. He's on the bench. And so we're skating from the blue line to the goal line, right? Like it's like the coach would like kind of like bag you. Well, we already yeah. practiced. Well, we had to do so many takes, and we're, at the end, you kind of all fall down, and you run into each other. And Euchre had that whistle. And he, he, he quite didn't know, like, when you're doing the stop and starts and you blow the whistle, you skate, you stop. Well, he kept blowing that whistle. We were back and forth, 30 practice for an hour and a half. We were out there for an hour. I must have done a million stops and starts. <laughs> he was so damn whistle happy. I think he was messing with us. Right. <laughs> but those were, those were great for not just the Admirals, for Milwaukee. I mean, that was just, those were fun. The, yeah. I, I actually would contend that is maybe one of the most successful advertising campaigns in the city of Milwaukee's history, not certainly yeah. for the admirals, but in the city of Milwaukee, taking an iconic guy like Bob Euchre was and is and and combining him with the, the, the woman who, you know, the, the family that owns the Bradley or that owns the admirals and built the Bradley Center, uh, like the city's greatest philanthropist. <laughs> they're they're yeah. phenomenal. Uh, Very generous. Uh, yeah. Uh, another incident I'd like to ask you about, I think you were, I think this was your year, your first time around when Sean Antosky climbs over, over the penalty box to, uh, to fight uh, uh, Steve Martinson from San Diego. Uh, that is a, that goes down another incident that goes down in Admiral's history. Was that during your season uh, that year? Uh, do you I, remember that happening? I'm pretty sure I do. Um, I've seen that clip too. That's probably on YouTube. Yeah. And, and, and Toski was a big guy and he was young, right? He just got drafted that year. I think he was kind of finding his way. He was a pretty skilled guy, actually. The guy could first round pick. Yeah. First round yeah. pick. I mean, he could skate and, you know, we had a bunch of tough guys. Um, I think he was kind of finding his way, but he did have a hell of a temper on him. <laughs> I'm not sure what sparked that. And Martinson was a, an older at the time guy. And he was right. But um, yeah, that's the good old hockey days, right? Like that's <laughs> that stuff anymore. It's uh, well, I mean, there wasn't well, even there wasn't even glass between, right? They had just right. a little bit of glass between the 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 penalty box, the announcer, and the other penalty box. So it you couldn't do that anymore. You'd have to climb over and then climb over yeah. again or go in the door. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
So that that would that, that you know couldn't happen. Uh, the end of your admiral's career, you get traded, and it just broke Phil's heart to have to do this. Uh, tell Worst us t- he ever made. He told me that. He yes. Tra- yeah. <laughs> ab- absolutely. Or That's I so- tell him that. Yeah. That tell us how that how that went down. Were you shocked? Uh, and then at the time, you probably your kids are probably only a few years old. I'm sure that wasn't real easy to yeah. tell your wife. Listen, hey. Although out of all the places to get traded to Orlando, I mean, <laughs> that's okay. So, but this is another wild story. So we were in, we played San, San Antonio, Houston, and then we're going to Orlando. Phil came on the road trip, which he didn't come on all the road trips. Cause he had stopped coaching. the right, Al Sims year. was the coach then. Yeah. Yep. Right, Al Sims was the coach. And Phil showed up in this road trip and right away. And obviously maybe we weren't winning or doing as well. Um, I've already been there, you know, for the better half, just about four years. Um, Sims, you know, was a new coach coming in. Maybe I wasn't his guy, right? Who knows? But Phil came on the trip. So right away, that gets, you know, guys are like, what's Phil? It's everyone's attention. Yeah, you know, what's why would he come on the trip, you know? And, and so we played San Antonio. I remember the Holiday Inn in Houston. Uh, I took the elevator. We had a bus leaving about 7 a.m., which is early for hockey players, right? You hate when the coach is like, 7 a.m. in the morning bus. You're like, oh, my gosh. Right. I, ta- I get in the elevator, and I come down to the lobby. And I do remember I had a weird feeling when I was in, I was in the elevator by myself. I come down. You know, it's like 6.45 or something. I'm going to go get a coffee. I'm not even awake yet. And Phil waves me over. He wants to talk to me. And he told me right there, you know, he kind of pulled me aside. And, you know, again, no one else is even awake or guys are rolling in and trying to get some guys are on the bus. And he mentioned I was traded, you know, to Orlando, which we're flying to Orlando. Right. So, you know, my head spinning. My kids were like two, maybe a year and a half, two. Heck, I don't even have a cell phone back then. There's no, you know, so he tells me I get on the bus. And it's quiet again at seven in the morning. Now we're busting to the airport to fly to Orlando. And I say something like, you guys better be ready to go tonight. I said that on the bus. Like, what the hell? Why is he getting so jacked up about the game now? Like, you know, yeah. They, so a lot of the guys didn't even know this happened. <laughs> wow. So I'm on the plane and Sean McCann if you remember the defenseman, sure. we're on the plane. He's sitting behind me. My head's spinning. He's like, Dave, you know, do you know any guys in Orlando? What do you think about the trade? And he kept asking me all these questions. And I'm just like, dude, I don't even want to talk to you. Like, I don't even, you know, so trying to process this. Yeah. And so we get to Orlando and I come up to Tom Lack, who's my roommate for the last three years. And I said, by that time now, over the couple hour flight or whatever, I said, hey, Mike, well, at least it's good to know a guy my age, an older guy, got traded. It was a two for one deal. Two guys from Orlando for me, two for, for you. one. He says to me, well, what are you talking about? I said, yeah, it's two for one. Those two guys uh, for me. <laughs> I'm just trying to make myself feel good at this point. Right. He says, no, it's you and Sean McCann. I had no idea. So that McCann <laughs> picking my brain the whole flight. Yeah. I had no idea he was traded. Again, communication back then. 
Here's another tidbit to the story. My wife's father lived near outside of Tampa. Prior to this whole thing going on, I already had it organized. I left him two tickets to the game, Milwaukee versus Orlando. Right. Again, no cell phones, nothing. He After the game, you know, and Dick was his name, and he's got to be 80, 82 years old. He comes out, he says, I couldn't find you out there. Where the hell are you? <laughs> well, I'm playing for Orlando. <laughs> so I didn't have time to tell him. So he got the tickets to the game. <laughs> you know, and finally he says, Mackie, Mackie's out there for Orlando. I, he couldn't put two and two together. I said, well, I didn't have time to tell you. I got traded. So oh, <laughs> we, went in shootout. we went in the shootout that night. Orlando picked me. I scored in the shootout. I skated right by the Admiral's bench. I didn't say anything. I just, but I made a, I made a point of turning after the goal and skated right by the bench. The next morning, I flew back with the admirals. Oh, really? Yeah, because, because I got, I got to get back, pack my stuff up. You know, I really was just on that road trip. I went back to Milwaukee, took about 24, 48 hours, got all my crap together, tried to organize as best I could, flew back down to Orlando. Um, and my wife was responding, you know, she did all the work to move us, organize a move and get the kids down there. And, and Trevor Sim, who was a, an admiral, was in Orlando. And so as soon as I got there, Trevor and I are good friends. He got me set up. He, I didn't have a car. He's buzzing me around. He got me a, a, an apartment and everything. So um, it was kind of a weird time to be traded and all that kind of worked out, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Sure did. Speaking of weird times, and we mentioned this a couple of times, your son, uh, great career at Minnesota State, mm -hmm. uh, then signed with the Calgary Flames. And as you mentioned, recently made his NHL debut. What has this year been like for you? Because, uh, you know, we talked to so many players on this podcast, you know, were, were your mom and dad there? Did your family get to see you make your debut? All of this stuff, right? that's not happening for the vast majority right. of kids this year. So what, what has this been like for you? Obviously you're very proud of him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but what has this been like for you? Well, I mean, gosh, yeah, it started what about a year ago, you know, now. And so we were all set to go to the frozen four. We, he was just starting his playoff in college hockey. Yeah. Right. My wife and I had all the regional flights and hotels booked. We were going because we thought they were going to get there ranked number three in the country. So right off the hop, you felt for that group, especially the seniors um, that didn't get to finish their kind of college career. Um, fortunately for my son, Connor, he was able to move on. He was actually supposed to go and go to Calgary, get a couple of games in that didn't happen. Right. So yeah, it's been, uh, you know, we've been hunkered down here and um you know, even training for him this summer, he, our backyard was like a prison yard. I mean, he had weights back there and doing stuff in the yard because all the gyms were, all the gyms were closed. And with some round so, barbed wire, circle barbed wire up on top. And, yeah, right. Yeah. So, a guard shack. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the, I'm the guard. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. He, uh, so he was able to go in the summer to the, the, the camp uh, at the playoffs. They brought him to that. He couldn't they play. Did. Okay. There. And then he got into Calgary and he's played three games. He's in the AHL now. He's with Stockton, who, because of the COVID, moved up there. Yeah. He just walked across the hall. So he's playing some games there now to get some some touches and ice time. 
Yeah, and so we're real proud of them. Um, but yeah, we're obviously watching watching the uh, ATV or the NHL Network or wherever he's at and hunker down every night. So it's been different, but uh, and, you know, different for all the players, right? With no fans, and it's been a challenging year for so many leagues, so many players. Um, and I was just going to add in my other son, Ian. I had a great proud moment last year. He went to the Wolves camp. Yes. Yeah. Played college hockey and he got an exhibition game in Milwaukee. Right. right? Exactly. You yep. were there for it. Yeah. I think you guys left me the tickets if I remember. Yep. I remember. I, and I don't know that there were, was there, were there fans? In, no, I, I don't yeah. think fans were allowed, but you so got to I come remember, in. I remember, Phil, I remember seeing you and Phil there together. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, there were fans because, no, that was last fall. Oh, there was. Yeah, yeah. It was a different exactly. game that we didn't allow fans in for. But anyways. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I get you. Yeah. So, to me, um, seeing the Admirals and I played, you know, played with the Wolves too, but just being right. back in Milwaukee and I had, you know, bumping into people. My wife went up there, had dinner. My son, you know, he ended up getting a fight. And, and uh, uh, you know, and so he played, he played in the East Coast League last year a little bit and played some pro hockey. Uh, but even him this year, he tried to go to Europe and that, you know, with the COVID and it shut, it shut so many people's um, careers and, um, and lives for, you know, all across the board and for hockey, of course. So everyone's affected, but yeah, we're coping and hoping, uh, but it has been hard. I would love to get to Calgary. Yeah. You did you ever play in the Saddle Dome? I did. Yeah. I played, I played in the corral, the old corral. They just knocked that. Did you? It did you really? Yeah, they had their junior team. But I did play in the Saddle Dome. I think the first year that was open was '89. Okay, so we, I, 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 it would be interesting to see. Yeah, I was thinking that it'd be interesting to go see your son play and get in to these buildings that you played in when you. Yeah. Were, you that, yeah. That'd be pretty cool to see what what is. Obviously, there are a lot of new buildings, but it would be interesting yeah. to see. Yeah. Well, he, I, I, one thing I can tell you, he's got better hands and feet than me. So <laughs> he's got better hands. So he's doing good. Well, that's, that's good. Awesome. That's good. Dave, uh, it's great to see you. You look great, by the way. Um, thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Uh, and we can't wait to see you once we get back to playing in the fall. Awesome, guys. I really enjoyed the chat. Good to connect with you guys again, and thanks for having me. That was a lot of fun. Excellent. That's the great Dave Mackey. Thanks for listening to this Milwaukee Admirals podcast. <laughs>